Hi, this is Jennifer Zeman, your host of The Food That Binds. Today's guest is Chef Joey Ward of Southern Bell and Georgia Boy in Atlanta, Georgia. Hi, Joey. Thanks for being here. Hey, good morning. Thank you for having me. So if, um, if listeners don't know who Joey Ward is, how would you introduce yourself and explain what you do? Yeah, so I'm a Gemini who enjoys long walks on the beach, candlelit dinners. Um, no, I'm, um, I'm a local chef, uh, born and raised here just north of Atlanta uh, in a small town called Powder Springs, Georgia. And I have been lucky enough to own my own restaurant for about three years now. And what's the name of that restaurant? Uh, we have Southern Bell and inside Southern Bell, we have Georgia Boy. Yeah, can you explain? Because it is kind of two concepts, no? It is. Yeah. I decided that I was going to open my first venue, uh, venture, um, just two at once. Uh, so <laughs> never, <laughs> never the easy way. Um, so Southern Bell is the main footprint of our building. Um, we're located at the Plaza theater over on North Highland and Ponce de Leon. We love the space. Um, we have uh, Southern Bell, which is the main chunk of the building is a 40 seat, farm-to-table restaurant celebrating all of the seasonal ingredients of local farmers and the international influences of um, the multicultural cuisine of Atlanta. Uh, we currently offer a small a la carte uh, small bites menu, as well as a four-course chef's tasting menu and a vegan option as well. And then uh, hidden inside Southern Bell, located through a secret passage, is uh, Georgia Boy. And Georgia Boy is a chef's table experience uh, where we do around 16 courses um, in a communal uh, group setting inside the kitchen. And, and I hate asking people to just like label their cuisine. And I know chefs hate to hear it, but like if you were to explain to someone who's never been to your restaurant, what kind of food to expect? Because I mean, I consider your food super high concept, very creative. I mean, like I'm always like, whoa, what was that when I eat your food? How would you explain it? Yeah, so I would like to, so Southern Bell, I would say is, it is a little more subdued um, in, in the concept portion, but there is a bit of that going on throughout. Um, I would say Southern Bell celebrates the multicultural cuisine of Atlanta using local ingredients, all of its farm to table. We utilize a ton of local farms, very important to us. And then uh, Georgia Boy is a multi-sensory um, and I would say emotion, emotionally driven experience. Mm. Meaning that uh, the dishes have a story. And we're trying to take you on a journey, uh, not only with the palate, but through um, evoking emotion, uh, different senses are stimulated throughout the experience. Um, and it's um, meant to have a little bit of fun. You know, we like playing with the food a little bit. So, <laughs> um, and, and I mean, I want to talk about your restaurant and just kind of like, you know, like you guys reopening during COVID and everything that happened later on. But I mean, I really want to kind of rewind the tape and um, you could tell I'm a Generation X, can you rewind the tape um, and and just talk about when, you know, you first were growing up. Um, one of the questions I love to ask people is, you know, just when did you know food was going to be a thing for you? Like beyond just something you enjoyed eating, like you're like, oh, like I'm going to end up doing something with this. Yeah. So I was I, I was really lucky in the sense of um, that I, I, I never wanted to be anything else other than a chef. And uh, uh, it was sort of an interesting path to get there. So um, I, I too come from a, a bit of an older generation, meaning that uh, on Saturday mornings, I would watch um, Saturday morning cartoons and my mom would leave me there in front of the TV while she did things. 
And eventually the cartoons would go off and end. And then afterwards, I remember on Georgia Public Television, um, we had these cooking shows. And this was the early days, like before Food Network, um, shows like Yan Can Cook and um, uh, Justin Wilson, uh, the Creole uh, chef, would come on. And I was there and, and, and I started watching them. And I, I was always a bit of a... Um, a I was passionate about food. My mom called me a husky boy uh, as a young kid. I, I love to eat. Um, and <clears throat> I, I just became fascinated with what they were doing. It, it looked really interesting and, and I loved food already. And so I started, you know, intentionally staying to watch these shows and they, they uh, grabbed something about my um, curiosity, which was that, you know, these guys were, and ladies were, were, doing things with food that were artistic and they, they look pretty and, and you could almost smell it through the TV. And I, I was always an artistic kid as well. And, and I, I started becoming fascinated with the idea of being able to express myself through food. And um, actually my grandmother had a clip for a long time. Uh, when I was in kindergarten, a local newspaper came by and asked a section of kids, I think it was five of us, what we wanted to be when we grew up. And I was one of the kids and um, I said chef at, at, <laughs> in kindergarten. And this was like way before it was like, you know, romantic. Uh, right, before the um, Food Network and you know, Emerald yeah, made and, it the thing. I didn't yeah. know, I didn't, I, I don't know if it was for me being stubborn or me not wanting to try, maybe I was lazy, not wanting to try anything else, but I was like, you know what, I said chef, I'm gonna go with chef, so. Um, <laughs> Through that, though, I was able to kind of laser focus my, my um, you know, the types of positions I took and different, um, I didn't really need to find myself. I just kind of set my goal and that was it. You eventually went to CIA, no? I did, yes. Yeah, right. So you, you, you were determined. I mean, CIA is not for anybody who doesn't want to, you know, go balls to the wall, you know, and, and learn. Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of went there without an option. My my, <laughs> my mentor at the time I had been working for since I was 16 at uh, Cherokee Town Club, Chef Kevin Walker. Um, pretty much he was an alumni of CIA and he, he told me, he's like, you need to go to CIA. And I was Wait, like, since 16? Yeah. You yes. started working uh, at Cherokee at 16? I did, wow. yeah. Wow, that's uh, wild. I, yeah, so you were going to high school and working at Cherokee. Yes, wow. I had given, um, I had attained enough credits to do the work release program. Nice. Uh, so I could leave early and go to work. So I would like leave at like 1230 and then go eat family meal at the, <laughs> at the <laughs> club and, uh, and start working and like, you know, work the line and then start it over again. So when you, when you were growing up though, um, you mentioned your mom, um, you know, what was food like, like what role did food play in your household growing up? Like <laughs> minimal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was, it was, um, yeah, we were sort of a hamburger helper type, you know, family. I was an only child and my mom would, you know, my mom always made dinner, but it wasn't exactly from scratch. Um, and, and so that's not really what drove the, the passion for food. My, the, the fondest and oldest memory I have about cooking was with my grandfather, um, who was my biggest male uh, role model growing up. He, um, I remember we had picked a bunch of blueberries one year when I was like four or five years old. Um, and uh, the next morning we made um, blueberry pancakes. It was the first thing I ever learned how to cook ne next to my granddad. And I don't even think that was from scratch. I think it was like a Bisquick mix or something, but we were dropping the blueberries in there and watching them bubble up. And 
Um, I just got so excited. My granddad would crack the eggs with one hand, which I thought was super cool. And it is um, still, uh, still cool. Still cool. <laughs> I can do that now, which is, you know, life goal. <laughs> um, but I, I was just fascinated. And that kind of really is what got me, you know, sort of really curious about cooking and just because I loved my granddad so much. And at the time, I remember him telling me that he was a cook in the Navy, but I, <laughs> and this has been on other pieces of press that we've released, but um, I don't think the second half of the story is there. So you get the exclusive. So nice. <laughs> uh, a, a few years before he passed away um, as a grown man, this is a couple of years ago, it was Thanksgiving and I was chatting with my granddad, you know, we'd opened the restaurant. I was, you know, being, we were fairly successful in the, that it was surviving. Um, and I, I said, granddad, you know, I never got to thank you. I wanted to take a minute. Um, you know, you're the whole reason I got into cooking and, it was all because you were a cook in the Navy and, and it inspired me. And I took this whole journey and he took a long pause and he said, I was never a cook in the Navy. <laughs> and I said, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> he's like, no, he said so he was a, was called a boatswain mate. And um, I guess he did some stints in the galley, but it was never, he really didn't cook much. And um, it was that skewed perception of reality that drove my entire existence. <laughs> like, so I was like, well, thanks anyway. You still inspired me, you know? I think we all, I think my, there's certain stories that I've told myself in my childhood that I'll fact check with my parents and they're like, no, that, that didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> that was a fabrication. But um, so you're 16 and you're working at Cherokee. Mm -hmm. um, Take me through, you know, like what happens next for you um, that's relevant, you know, like to, to, to this, you know, like in terms of, you know, you, you, you eventually go to the CIA and then you come back to Atlanta. Um, and I mean, I, d I definitely want to talk about your relationship with Kevin, um, mm -hmm. since that was such a big chunk of your experience and you leading that restaurant. Um, what, what in between those, you know, that time frame do you think is relevant to this that you'd like to discuss? Well, I'll say, so this might tie in towards the end, but I, I did take a, a, a beat right after uh, graduating uh, to do some serving and bartending here in, in the city. So I took a step down. I, I mean, I had been working back at house since I was, you know, 15 or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. And so I, I was like, eventually knew that I wanted to at least be operating restaurants, not necessarily owning one. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I, uh, I took a, like a year and a half and, and did some serving and bartending in some places in Buckhead. And, um, that was really eye opening to see that side of the business. And, um, part of it was strategic and, you know, for an investment in my future. And part of it was like me being like a 21 year old and wanting to like be a bartender and mm -hmm. have those late nights and that mm -hmm. kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, but I was glad I did it cause I got some perspective, um, that I could appreciate later in my career. Um, so yeah, uh, I actually, I was on the opening team of opera nightclub and now. Oh my I, God. I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they had a catering company that was in house. So like if, when it wasn't a nightclub, it was also an event center called the Atlanta event center. And a friend of mine was, uh, took the gig as the executive chef when they rebranded from um, what, what I forget what the old club was called, but, uh, they opened his opera and he, he called me up. He's like, stop serving bartending. You need to come back to the kitchen. So I helped him and, and did catering for a while. Big corporate events were like Microsoft, Delta, Coca-Cola, stuff like that. Um, 
got a taste for catering and scale. Gosh, scale. Yeah. I mean, I'd done a bit of it in the country club because you kind of do all things in the country True. club. But this was scaled up. I mean, we were doing parties of like 1,400 people and like hors d'oeuvres and, you know, this and that and buffets. Um, realized that that wasn't for me after a bit. And then um, joined the opening team of the St. Regis Hotel in Buckhead and was a sous chef there. So now I've dabbled in at this point, country clubs, catering, and hotels. And in front of the house. In front of the house. And so I was kind of just feeling it out. And back then it was really um, sort of standard, at least to me, to do at least a year at each place, you know, mm -hmm. for my resume. Yeah. Um, so I was spending some time at each place and, and really figuring out if I liked it or not. And then that's where the um, Kevin Gillespie bit comes in. So I was the sous chef at the St. Regis. And one day I was in charge of the kitchen on Sundays. It was a slower day. So the other elder managers would, would usually be off by the evening shift for the restaurant. And I was running the restaurant and um, we got information that a uh, two top was coming in with uh, Nick and Courtney Quinones, who were, and it was a partner at Woodfire Grill at the time, uh, the restaurant over off of Cheshire Bridge. And um, one of the servers who knew them said, hey, this is, this is a big deal. You know, usually he likes for people to just cook for him. And so I'm like, all right. So I whipped together like this, like, I want to say it was like a seven course tasting menu, which was not on our menu. And our, my boss probably would have killed me if, if he knew I was doing it. <laughs> but uh, I, I made up all these dishes and got the cooks involved. And then, you know, we sent him out. And at the end, he asked me to um, come out and meet him and offered me a job. He said, you need to meet Kevin and, and, and come down to the restaurant. And I had been watching uh, Top Chef that year. It was the season that Gillespie was uh, was on, I think season six. And uh, he was he was killing it. And um, I was really identifying with sort of his approach to the food and his, um, I guess, his personality just by uh, the, the TV lens anyway. And so sort of a side note, when I had applied to the St. Regis, I had also sent in a, a, a resume to Kevin um about a year before that and it was i'd never heard of woodfire grill i'd never heard of him and um he had offered me a stage there to try out and 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 at the same time i got a response from the saint regis which i knew was established and so i actually declined the offer and went with the saint regis and so it was really funny because i'm at the saint regis and and i enjoyed my experience there but i learned you know six seven months in that i was kind of like not cut out for the corporate like hotel kind of structure mm -hmm. So then I, on my days off, I'm watching Top Chef and I'm like kicking myself like, man, I, I could have been working for this guy. So it was a little bit serendipitous that Nick, Nick Quinones came in and, and that happened um, with that tasting menu. So end up meeting Kevin and um, he hired me. I stepped down as sous chef at the St. Regis and, and joined the bottom of the totem pole at Woodfire Grill as the uh, pantry, the, the, the pantry station. And um, the rest is history. Um, fell in love with independently owned restaurants from there and and just the the exposure to the farm to table movement that um, woodfire grill had for me seeing and meeting these farmers coming in this amazing product um the teamwork and com camaraderie of the of the you know culinary staff and the front of house staff there mm -hmm. it was like a big unit that was all passionate about cooking it wasn't no one was there to collect a paycheck it was in fact that was <laughs> 
<laughs> the last of our cares because we weren't making much money. <laughs> but it was and, a literal, it was a literally warm restaurant. Like that restaurant exuded warmth, like through its people, through the wood fire, you know, through the food. Sure. Um, it was very special to Atlanta. Yeah. And we were, uh, you could feel it in the kitchen. You know, we were, we were all a, a team and, and going to battle every day and, and there for a common goal and, and achieving it. Um, so we were, it was really a, really a cool time for me. So you guys went and opened Gun Show together? Yes. So I, I took a brief stint after Woodfire Grill. So Kevin Kevin left, parted ways with 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 Woodfire to open Gun Show. And during that sort of, I guess, build out time or whatever, mm. I took my first executive chef job um, for the now shuttered H. Harper Station. Okay, right. And I was there for a year and that wasn't panning out. Um for uh, myself and, and the owner. And so right around that time, Kevin reached out and said, Hey, I'm, I've got this concept where the, the cooks cook the food and serve the food. Um, it's kind of crazy. It's called gun show. Do you want to be a part? And I was like, that's what you're going to name it. Uh, <laughs> <all right. laughs> yeah, it sounds cool. Um, and so, yeah, I was, I was in from the ground up uh, with gun show. And for uh, listeners, outside of Atlanta or inside of Atlanta. I've never done it. it was gun show was very unique. Cause it was almost like, as Joey said, that the chefs were cooking the food, they were serving the food, but it was almost like dim sum style. So like, you know, the food would be going around and then you would like call, you know, be like, yes, yes, we want that. Yes. Um, yeah. So the, 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 the elevator pitch of gun show is like the cooks prepare a dish. Each person prepares a dish that they've conceived and, and prepared. And as it's ready, like I would bring a dish or a platter of dishes out and offer it to each guest and say, Hey, I made this. I'm Joey. Would you like to try it? And then you say yes, and you take it, and I mark down on your menu that you've taken it, or you say no, and then I go in the corner and cry. Um, <laughs> no, uh, and then we just keep going around to the next guest, and, mm -hmm. and that's it all night. So throughout the course of the evening, you'll see about sixteen dishes or so, mm -hmm. um, and it's just so fun. It's it's bright. It was bright. It, it's loud. I mean, it's still there. It's still great. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> and um, I, to this day, I mean, until until. Uh, Southern Bell, I, it, it's been my favorite job I've ever had. I uh, spent a lot of hours in that, in that building. And it also was an incubator for a lot of talent. Like, I mean, I remember, you know, having like Mercedes, like toasted old fashioned for the first time there and just be, I'd never liked an old fashioned until I had her old fashioned, you know, there was just a lot of really solid creatives, as you said, um, there. It was a great vibe. I mean, the, the, the teamwork and the, the energy of the restaurant really brought in a lot of talent um, and, and creative people. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was just lucky to be a part of it in some way. And, um, it was my goal just not to mess it all up. <laughs> I, <laughs> I got, I got, um, after about the first year I got, I, mean, I was chef de cuisine and then I got put as an executive chef and it was a very unique role because it wasn't like a traditional executive chef job, mm. you know, creating the menu and, making sure everyone's doing, you know, executing your vision. It was listening to other people's visions and trying to hone those because the true nature of gun show was the creative aspect and the ownership of each dish by the person that was making it. So it wasn't just me dictating dishes. It was me listening to ideas and helping to, you know, depending on the different levels of experience that our different cooks had, um, help them to either make it into a cohesive dish to, to present to the guest or just, you know, giving them a high five and being like, that's great. You know, let's mm -hmm. put it on the menu. 
Um, so it definitely was a different set of skills that I had to learn along with not being a sociopath, uh, like in the back, I had to talk to guests every night, like every single guest multiple times. So that afforded me the opportunity to really, um, hone my people's skills and front of house sort of, um, experience that I had before. And how did this all lead you to opening your restaurants today? Southern Bell opened pre-pandemic, no? <laughs> Just <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, we were uh, the very end of November of 2019. Right. So, so definitely pre. Yeah, it was it was we had just gotten our sort of uh, momentum. Uh, we we closed for the pandemic in April of 2020. So it was uh, what a gut kick. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it was like, all right, we got this. I think we got this. Oh, oh, no. Uh, <laughs> pandemic. Um, yeah. But what led to that? I mean. Essentially, so Kevin and I are, are are great friends. I mean, he was, you know, a groomsman at my wedding. Like, we we've known each other for a very long you time. You can tell that you guys are tight. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, you know, we were we sat down one day, and I was I was like, hey man, I I don't know. I, I'm thinking I want to do my own thing at some point. And we kind of talked about what that would look like, and he wanted me to be maybe a part of his growing restaurant, you know, empire that he was trying to build, and. I was happy to help him because I, you know, I, I, I care for him and, and want to see him succeed. But at the same time, I, I had this creative drive about me that I knew, or actually he identified um, that would never be satiated by working for someone else. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I thought that was really big of him to admit that. And and because I remember he said in the meeting, you know, he like stopped mid sentence, like, well, you could be the culinary director. And then he like stopped and he was like, you know what, Joey? Honestly, you're never going to be truly happy unless you're doing your own concept. Mm -hmm. And and that was that was a hard pill to swallow, both for him and for me to hear, because I was like, oh, shit, I guess I got to do this myself. <laughs> <laughs> you know, here we go. So um, with that, he essentially gave me permission to use his resources and to help me and his business partner, Marco Shaw, who is really great um, with Redbird Restaurants, uh, to help me get my feet underneath me as far as like, how to open a business and, 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 and getting, you know, the steps. Yeah. Here's the template. This is exactly. what you need to do. Yeah. And the concepts. I mean, it was, um, it was Marco who, who pointed me in the direction of the space for Southern Bell. Um, it was a, a real estate person had given him the, um, the floor plan for what is Southern Bell and Georgia boy now. And it, for, for them to potentially use for a different concept. And he was like, this sounds exactly like what Joey's been talking about. And so he showed it to me and I was like, wow. And so that's, you know, got me on and my- It's a really great location. I mean, it's a storied Atlanta location, you know, with that theater there, the Plaza Theater, which I, I just I, saw you and your wife were watching Cocaine Bear the yeah, other night. Cocaine <laughs> Bear at the Plaza, which I highly recommend. Wait, Trina, right. But um, yeah, no, I remember there used to be like the first Korean restaurant in, in ITP was there called Mirror of Korea. It was like the first time I ever had Korean food was in that place. Um, and the Righteous Room is there now. I mean, it's great. Um, why? I mean, that's like a super funky location, you know, mm -hmm. like, I mean, even just choosing that location is a choice in and of itself, be, you know, saying something about the restaurant. Did Was having kind of an edge an important part of these two concepts for you, like not opening. And I mean, you could have opened in the middle of Buckhead, right? Yeah, you know, I mean, to be honest, I, I was so eager to find the space, you mm -hmm. know, when I was looking, cause I'd gotten some, some, we'd done some fundraising. 
we had some investors and now it was like, we got to figure out where this is going to materialize. Mm -hmm. And I was so eager to find the space that I was trying, I found myself trying to fit it into different places. Mm. It, it really didn't feel right. I was, we, I mean, we were two days away from signing a lease over in Virginia Highlands for a space that was nice, but it wasn't right. Mm. Um, and I was just like, we got to get a space. And that's when this space came, came across my, my desk. And I walked in the front door. I'd never, I never really went to the righteous room much. Like, you know, I, I hadn't been to that plaza mm-hmm. much. I had been by, I'd never been to the theater. Um, and I, I walked in the front door of what is now Southern Bell, and it was instant. I mean, what I had been envisioning in my mind Southern Bell to look like, the kind of vibe in particular for Southern Bell, not Georgia Boy, mm-hmm. it had. Um, and it had been a florist most recently. So it wasn't even a restaurant. It was just this shotgun building with this amazing exposed brick from, you know, 100 years ago almost. And uh, the stamped tin ceiling um, and this tile floor that was all like original. And it just, it, re- it instantly reminded me of something that you might see in like in New York, like in Brooklyn mm. or something. Like it was just kind of tucked in there. You would, you would walk by it a hundred times and never know it was there. But the moment you broke the threshold of the door, you would all of a sudden you were in a different place. And it was, it, it kind of, I mean, it gives me goosebumps now. It, it was a really uh, serendipitous moment to see that. And um, I was like, this is it. And it just so happened that on the floor plan for that space, there was this little thing literally on on the blueprints. It said um, what is now the Georgia Boy space was called the hideaway on like on the thing. And so (laughs) it was a a catty corner room that was not even connected by a door. It was you had to go out the alley and into this other door. And it was the exact square footage that we needed to, to make Georgia Boy happen. So it was really cool um, to see that happen. The total kismet. And, and inside, it's really funky. I mean, like even, you know, in the bathrooms, they have like kind of like all that masters type of stuff, you know, like, and when, like well, at least when I was there, there was a lot of golf type of paraphernalia, yeah, if so I remember. Bathroom. We, we, we've got three bathrooms at the restaurant. All have <laughs> the their golf bathroom. Feet. Yeah, they all have their own theme. I was very uh, purposeful with the design. Um, that one came along, the golf bathroom came along because of the um, the wallpaper and the sink that our designer over at um, Square Feet Studios wanted to go with. It was like instantly, I was like, this reminds me of a country club bathroom because I had come up at Cherokee and I was like, we should really lean into this country club vibe. Mm. This and, and, you know, we brought in the masters and Augusta national and my wife, Emily is a big golf fan. And, 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 and so uh, we kind of leaned into like Bobby Jones and that kind of vibe for mm-hmm. them. You're listening to the food that binds with Jennifer Zeman. This is my interview with chef Joey Ward of Southern bell and Georgia boy in Atlanta, Georgia. And speaking of your wife, Emily, I mean, if anybody follows you on social media, I mean, she's just a really big part of your life. I mean, so much so that you named the restaurant after her. Um, why, why did you do that? Aside from just love. <laughs> well, uh, she was a, she was a driving force and getting sort of the confidence I needed to make it happen. And also um, the business side of it. I mean, she, she kind of completed the holes she filled in the holes that I had mm. uh, in my skill set um, to make this whole thing possible, um, and and so I wanted to pay homage not only to her but to 
sort of, you know, strong women in general um, that I've grown up with in my life. Um, and it, it just made sense. And, and also, I like the juxtaposition of the two um, names, as well as sort of the expectation that you're getting. Like you said, it's about impact, like not only walking in with the aesthetic of Southern Belle, but like going in with the preconceived notion of, okay, I'm going to a place called Southern Belle, it's probably going to be you know, mm. Southern food, which it is, but I, I think what we do is a little bit different than what people might think of as Southern food. I mean, a hundred percent, but it's yeah. great. I'm, I mean, what you do, your team invited me for a no child hungry um, oh, yeah. meal. Um, and it was really the first, I, I mean, I would consider it fine dining because of the service and because of the way that the plating was at the time, you know, it was the first sit down meal I'd had after COVID. And I was like, my relationship to food got really screwed up during COVID. Like I used to be a restaurant critic, tearing people's creativity apart, felt really energetically bad after COVID. And that's why I did a pivot, you know, but um, it made me fall in love with eating out at restaurants again. I thought that I was done going to restaurants. Honestly, I really did. And it was just so, I think there was some sort of like a, it was like a dehydrated blue cheese with some sort of meat that was served that night. And it was like, Oh God, this is what happens when people are creative with food. This is why, this is why I love food so much and eating out at restaurants. Um, can you talk to me about what your relationship with food is like now? And then also just kind of what is your relationship like with restaurants in the restaurant world today and customers? Um, I have to imagine opening November, 2019, closing in April, 2020, reopening during the pandemic. I mean, where's your head at? <laughs> well, first of all, it was very humbling. Um, you know, we, we set goals to come out in, in November of 2019. It's like doing something different, really banging our drum, being this, you know, hope cuisine kind of uh, flash in the pan. We, we didn't know where we were going to go. Um, I just wanted it to be something cool, right? And then we shifted to survival mode like everyone did um, in 2020. And we were really fortunate to be so small um, that we were able to survive that. We had such a tight team um, and it was boots on the ground, you know, full time that I was able to make real-time decisions. Uh, and it felt like we, we would have a meeting every day with the staff and, and, and it was almost like we were calling audibles every day, like a, like a football play, you know, <laughs> all right guys, today we're going to try something a little bit different. <laughs> um, it, I mean, it went from like the original, like breaking news of the pandemic. We, we started, you know, making our own hand sanitizer and putting it out on the tables. And then it turned out that people weren't going to eat in restaurants anymore. We were like, Oh no, what do we do now? So we became this like takeout restaurant for months and months. Um, and, you know, we applied for the government aids at the right time. We were able to secure those. We did a GoFundMe right at the beginning to make sure our staff was taken care of as well as beyond the GoFundMe, we, we paid everyone an additional um, wage to sustain them until we could get them furloughed for unemployment benefits um, and before, until the um, PPP stuff came through. So no one missed a paycheck um, Wow! because we were able to, you know, make that happen. And, and we were really fortunate on that. And then it was just like, okay, every day was something different. Um, we went from the takeout restaurant to this like hybrid patio. A lot of people don't know we have a patio <clears throat> 
we have a patio on the Claiborne Street side um, that really saved our butts um, during the pandemic because we were able to see people outside um, when no one wanted to come inside uh, for safety reasons. And then we also spread our wings out to the front patio. Well, we, well, we call it a patio. <laughs> The sidewalk, the covered sidewalk in front of the Plaza Theater. It's a very Parisian type of patio. Oh, for sure, yeah. <laughs> Alfresco dining at its finest. Um, and the Plaza was was really uh, cool in letting us like spread out under their marquee as well. So literally, people were dining in front of the entrance of the Plaza Theater. Um, and we had fans set up in the summer out there, and and like there was no music, so we we I bought these um, little. Uh, Bluetooth radios and like place them over by the tables that we could run off. You know, we were trying our best. Um, we even brought in brunch uh, for a while, which was very well received by the guests and not mm -hmm. so much by the staff. Uh, no chef likes brunch. No maybe. chef likes brunch. That is real. Um, uh, unless it's a restaurant that only does breakfast and lunch, I think. Um, right. I was really proud of what we did but it took a global pandemic for us to agree to do brunch and it'll take another one to do it again. Um, <laughs> so, you get on a t-shirt. Yeah, exactly. There's a great line in, in the bear, the show, the bear, where they're talking about brunch and everybody, the whole staff at the same time goes F brunch. Yeah. That's, that's how we feel too. Yeah, it's true. Um, it's true. But um, yeah. So, I mean, we evolved from that to eventually getting back indoors um, and then the last evolution was opening Georgia boy again, because that is a communal dining experience. So we had mm -hmm. to make sure we were as well clear of the pandemic as we could be, you know, that people would want to come and sit together again. Mm -hmm. And we saw some, some great things, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to like romanticize the, the pandemic by any means, but it was a catalyst for some, some sweeping changes for us mm -hmm. that I think made us end up, we ended up in a better place for it. Um, first of all, I, I have the confidence to, that we will be able to open another restaurant in the future with no problem because <laughs> uh, it was trial by fire already. Totally. Um, but more so it, we evolved the concepts to a thing that, um, to where we are now. And, and, and we're very happy with that. Um, some of the changes that we made, one was, um, Southern Bell became a tasting menu, um, for more for a cel celebratory type dinner than mm -hmm. every day. Uh, previously in, in the initial opening, uh, Southern Bell was a la carte only, and it was sort of like a small plates kind of tapas style, um, mm -hmm. menu where you would hopefully a table four would order everything and share, you know, <clears throat> and, um, we didn't take reservations. Um, so on like a Saturday night, we'd have like a three hour wait. So, I mean, we were very fortunate, like we were busy, but it was just, a, it was a long day and um, for the, for the staff and the bottom line was met, but it was met through a lot of covers and a lot of effort. And what we found from shifting to that tasting menu specifically during COVID. So that during the social distancing in particular, that we, we had fewer seats, but we needed to make more money to, to pay the bills. So we were like, well, a higher price point makes sense. And it ended up being a better experience for the guest and also for the staff, because we were able to laser focus that service and the care for the food on fewer covers. <clears throat> so that was one. Uh, the other was the amount of hours we were working a week. I mean, pre-pandemic, we're running two restaurants. It's all the same staff. We were running two restaurants, essentially, 
two concepts anyway. Um, and so we were working, you know, myself 80, 90 hours a week and my sous chefs, the same thing. And, and a lot of the cooks were getting 50, 60 plus hours. And it, it was just not, it was not sustainable. Um, so we looked at how to minimize that um, and correct it. And, and what we found was we could do, especially with shifting Southern Bell's concept, we could get away with three days a week, uh, which sounds crazy to say, but we, we concentrated the amount of people that were willing to come and pay the money for an experience into Thursday, Friday, and Saturday night. And we prep a couple of days, like half day shifts there uh, on Tuesday, Wednesday. Um, but overall, I mean, everyone's getting right at 40 hours or less, uh, just less. And um, it's, it's been sustainable and, and we're meeting our bottom lines with a lot more of a, you know, sustainable lifestyle, I guess. Speaking of the bottom line, one thing I know you're passionate about is the customer experience and, and just also your staff experience, but tipping, I know is something that, you know, has come up. Um, and could, do you want to discuss that? Could you speak to that? Yeah, sure. So we, that was part of that evolution was seeing that we, the model was sort of flawed um, that we had been used to, which is and throughout my whole career, I mean, um, the service industry uh, in Georgia, servers um, have this thing called a tip credit where they get two, I think it's two fifteen an hour, um, which is well under minimum wage. And then it's supplemented with collecting their tips, right? So they end up making however much money an hour, but if it's slow, they're only making two fifteen, two thirteen an hour. Um, and that didn't seem fair. Now on the other side of it, the cooks at back of house would be making, you know, 15, 16 bucks an hour, if you're hourly, and they would be working this. If it was busy, they would be getting killed and making the same amount of money. Mm -hmm. And historically in other places um, that I've been a part of, there's been a rift in the front of house and back of house. Like it was sort of two teams sort of uh, clicked up against each other. Mm -hmm. um, and what we decided to do as a part of this was um, eliminate tipping. We went to a service inclusive model where um, we had started sort of taking information, gathering data to see what the average that people were tipping over a you know, period of time. And we averaged that out. And then we just included that as a service charge. And we decided to pay our entire staff a mi above minimum wage, which um, um, the minimum for us is $10 an hour. The lowest person makes $10 an hour. Um, some make more. Um, and then they all share in this service charge. And so that means everyone averages between $23 and $25, sometimes more an hour. Um, and that's every cook, back of house, every server, server assistant, the, the uh, steward, everyone's included in that. Mm -hmm. And that has been a real game changer for us um, in that the staff is happy. Um, they're paid. Even when it's slower, they're, they're, they're making, you know, a, a base of $10 an hour. Um, when it's busier, everyone, you know, all boats rise. Um, mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. there, there's some pride in like, yeah, it's busier, but you're getting paid more. Like it, I don't know, it made sense to us. And, and we've been seeing it work. It's been, you know, my biggest fear was that we were going to price ourselves out of the market, but 
the guest would think that this is a ripoff or, or not mm -hmm. willing to pay it. And I think that it's been the opposite. We, we've seen very little, almost no pushback on that from the guest. In fact, we see a lot more guests willing to not only pay the service charge, but they're happy that that's the approach that we're taking. Mm -hmm. And then tip additionally, <laughs> which has been really remarkable. I think that um, it's it's an interesting issue. You know, you've seen some people say that the service included charge, you know, thing is not good. Some people are advocates. Um, if it's working for you, that's great. You know, I mean, it works for us. Uh, yeah. So far, it's been it's been great. You know, I don't know if it would if it works for every concept. You know, mm -hmm. I, I think a fast casual would have a harder time. Definitely not. Yeah, but your but, people are expecting to throw down and buy a bottle of wine. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, I do think it is the first steps in a conversation and a bigger conversation that needs to happen in the industry, which is, you know, this system of paying servers two thirteen an hour and then expecting the guests to supplement their income to a livable wage that's consistent and a dependable paycheck. It, it's not it's not right. It, it's not mm -hmm. it's broken. And and we need to look at other models. I mean. You know, you look at the European model, in particular, uh, France, you know, they, they have paid vacation for their servers. They have a salary for their servers, mm -hmm. and, but you don't tip. Mm -hmm. It's just, yeah, I, I, I think about it like buying any good um, in, in the U.S. So if you, I, I use the example of going to the iPhone store and buying a, an iPhone or the Apple store, rather, mm -hmm. buying an iPhone, right? You, you pay the price for the phone. And you don't argue with it. It is what it is. And that price pays for the lights to be on in the building. It pays for the product that you're getting mm -hmm. and it pays for the salary of the person that's helping you get the service. And so why can't we look at food or start to look at food in the same way? Um, you're paying for a service, you know? Um, mm -hmm. And if I don't like the iPhone or if the service, uh, associate is is not very helpful then i leave a review or i you know become an android guy like it's <laughs> it, it, it's it's easy if you look at it that way i guess mm -hmm. I, that's how i've been wrapping my head around it so do you still love the restaurant industry and serving customers as much as you did you know after this you know hugely global traumatic event for all of us i mean i feel like service people just really they got so mistreated. Um, it was really hard to see the way people were treating um, hospitality professionals during COVID. Um, and I know a lot of people left the industry. I mean, how do you feel about it? Is it still hard to get people to come work? Um, no, I mean, you hit that on the head. I mean, they did. We, we, we saw the industry lost. Just it, it, it became so hard to find. And, and I know this from, from colleagues. I mean, you know, a lot of my friends are chefs or business owners and restaurant owners, and, and they were saying, you know, can't find anybody, can't find anybody. And we really didn't see a lot of that. And I think a big part of it was because of the proactive steps that we were we were taking towards treating our, our, our folks in a different way, in a way that they were not used to, making sure that they were taken care of, you know, um, offering, we offered two weeks of paid vacation for the whole staff. Um, we are looking out for the bottom line. And it, it, I, I got into this not to be, not to get rich, but to be impactful in some way in, in our industry. And it turns out through this thing that happened called COVID, um, the decisions we made have, have been impactful, at least to the small group of people that have decided to hitch their wagon to our train. Um, 
for me, coming to work every day is a blessing. I mean, I, I love it. I, I really do love what we do. I love, I, I, I've seen an, an, a reaction from the guests now that's even more impactful than it was before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I, I think that people were cooped up. They were starved for, you know, kind of like your experience that you said you had. Um, they were starved for an experience again um, after eating takeout for a year or more. It was being taken care of, you know, yeah, it was exactly. like somebody filling my water glass that wasn't me. You know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, like it, it just, it really like, it just re- I don't know why, but it, at that meal was the meal. Um, and, and for us, our staff, they, they really care. They're invested in the story of what we're doing, the, the story of the food, the story of the wine program. Mm-hmm. Um, you can, you can get that. People get a sense of that from our staff and it's, it's really cool. Um, yeah. They're excited about the dishes and the concept, you know, um, like I think I said, no child hungry, no kid hungry, okay. <laughs> the, the no kid hungry meal, it, you know, there, it was a collab with other local Southern chefs um, or just other Southern chefs. Um, but just some things being of the South and since you're a Georgia boy, um, I, it's, I always struggle as somebody who's been covering Atlanta restaurants for so long to explain to people that it, how Atlanta is so special. Um, one of the things that we keep hearing, you know, in recent years is Atlanta influences everything. And I have, you know, I've been living here on and off since 1973 when my family immigrated to the States. Um, and you know, Atlanta is so cool right now. <laughs> and it was not as cool when I was younger. Um, do you think there's something special that draws creatives to Atlanta? Yes. I, and, and I'm, I'm with you there. Um, I, you know, I grew up here and went to school in New York and, had all of this pent up angst about my hometown, because like you said, back then it wasn't that cool. Mm-hmm. At least to me, I, I, all I wanted to do was cook in New York or move to Chicago and, and where the restaurants were. Right. Yeah, totally. And I, and I was lucky to not only have relocate back home, but also be in some ways a, a small part of making the food scene a little bit trendy. You know, I, mm-hmm. show was the big one for me that, um, you know, Kevin opening gun show and taking that risk of something so different. I was like, if this succeeds, which I had no idea if it would, um, if it succeeds, that's going to really show an evolution of where the city is headed and, and it has come how far it's come. Mm-hmm. And not only did it succeed, I mean, it was, that was the busiest restaurant I've ever, <laughs> ever <laughs> um, and that really opened my eyes to like, okay, we're being a part of something bigger here. And this is really, really awesome. And that gave me the courage to open what we're doing now. And I'm really proud to be, I, I think Atlanta is, is a hub for creatives. You know, you've got the film industry migrating here, uh, music, obviously. Um, there's a lot of art happening. The, the food scene is something I'm very, very proud to be a part of. Um, and it's I, a family, right? The food scene here. I don't think people get it. Like if somebody's struggling, like yeah, they I mean, show up. A lot of a lot of chefs, you know, we've got the Giving Kitchen here, which is huge. Um, it, it's uh, all my friends are chefs, pretty much. <laughs> like, um, we we all text. If I'm having a slow night, I, I text my buddies. Like I'm hitting up Bruce over at Boca Lupo, and like, hey, are you guys slow? Like, no, we're killing it. Oh, damn it. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's it's a really cool community to, to be a part of, and. You know, the, the answer, I think, what draws people to Atlanta is probably the weather in the winter. 
<laughs> but what gets people to stay, I think, is is the, the city itself, the people, um, the creatives that are here making it really funky and cool. And um, yeah, I'm super glad to be a small part of it. So it's interesting. So you, you mentioned Kevin and Kevin was one of my first interviews, like first season. Um, and you also said a word that he said, you know, he called himself a Husky boy when he was <laughs> younger too. <laughs> um, you know, like, I think that we talk a lot about it with women, but, you know, especially someone in the food space, like what's your relationship like with food and your body now? Like, um, you know, like, do you, do you have any like issues surrounding that? Like, do you exercise a lot? Like, how do you like keep your relationship with food healthy? Cause we're, we're all getting older. Right. Um, sure. yeah, yeah. I, um, well, I eat like an asshole. Uh, <laughs> Explain. Uh, what does yeah, that mean? <laughs> I'm trying to do better. I had a chicken quesadilla for dinner last night at like 11, no midnight mm -hmm. um, that I made myself at home mm -hmm. and then uh, some Samoa Girl Scout cookies at nice. like 30. So yeah, that's the example, but it's, it's about balance. Uh, since getting married eight years ago, my wife has increased my vegetable intake substantially um, just through shame. Pretty much, you know, you, you can't eat chicken quesadillas all the time, Joey, you have to eat broccoli. So I think I'm going to get a few extra years of life from her. Um, I've, I've always been, since those days of childhood, mm -hmm. probably around high school, I started running mm. uh, here and there, um, lost the weight. And then it, for me, it's about extremes. I eat poorly, but then I go the other way with exercise and so mm -hmm. probably the healthiest balance. But, um, so I do, I do, I'm a uh, CrossFitter. Mm -hmm. Uh, I do that a few days a week mm -hmm. and, uh, been doing that for a few years and then I still run. Um, mm -hmm. so it's just yeah, been an interesting trend because like, like you mentioned Bruce Logue, like Bruce, you know, really like a few years back, super committed to fitness and started lifting. You know, I know Zeb Stevenson, like really turned it around. Guy Wong, you know, like I, I've just seen a real trend of, of male chefs, like really taking control of their health in Atlanta um, as well, which I just think is like a part of food we don't talk about. Like we can sit and eat foie gras, but like you know, how much should we eat of it? And, and how do we minimize its impact on our own liver? <laughs> well, to be fair, Bruce and I don't eat at our own restaurants every night. I was, <laughs> I don't know if he's down in pasta on a, you know, seven day right. Uh, right. regimen, but, um, no, but you Bruce, got a taste. You, you do taste. You taste. You taste. Um, yeah. I don't know. For me, exercise is, uh, is about the physical, you know, benefits, feeling better, it gives me energy. I, I knock it out early in the morning and then I go to work. Um, it gives me energy throughout the day, but it also is a really good reset for my mental health. It, it's mm. sort of a great sort of uh, um, release, I guess. I can focus on the the exercise and, and then kind of block out everything else for a while. And it, it just clears my head um, and gets me ready for the day. Yeah, it's like an energy dump, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, so like just to that end, um, you know, when you're having a shitty day or your wife is and you want to cook something to comfort yourself or your wife, hmm. what is it that you cook? <laughs> uh, well, for my wife, it's um, we call it crack potatoes <laughs> or she calls it crack potatoes. It's um, it's it's sort of uh, the 
Robichon recipe for potatoes. It's like equal parts potatoes and butter, pretty mm-hmm. much. Uh, the best, <laughs> yes. the best potato uh, recipe ever. <laughs> yeah, and and then um, for me, I mean, so I have a problem with ice cream. Okay, but I don't really cook ice cream much. But <laughs> Morelli <laughs> is like my favorite thing ever. Um, and um, yeah, so I, I usually go for a scoop or two or three. Uh, which one i like their jalapeno and corn salted caramel is is my jam um yeah i have a problem i've got to limit myself to just like one or two days a week um (laughs) i was just gonna say they they opened one in virginia highlands which is not very far from my from my restaurant and house so it's it's dangerous for me Thank you again for being here. Um, it's really been lovely to speak to you. Is there anything that you have coming up that you'd like to promote? Anything you'd like to give a shout out? Um, and where can people follow you? Yeah, yeah. So we're we're continuing our uh, No Kids Hungry dinner series this year. Um, we've got one coming up on April 23rd. Um, and what that is, we call it Bless Their Hearts uh, dinner series. Last year, through this, we, we raised over $10,000 for No Kid Hungry charity. Um, and each dinner is five chefs, five courses. Um, they're all from the Atlanta area and the Southeast in general. And sometimes we get a wild hair and we fly people in from other States as well. So, um, we've had a friend from New York come down and different things, but, uh, it's really a great time to see these other chefs and their creative, uh, expressions through food for a great cause. Um, and then just come out and, and check out Southern Bell and Georgia Boy, you know, uh, Thursday through Saturday. Uh, reservations on resi.com. And then you can follow us on Instagram uh, and Facebook. Oh, well, thank you again for being here. I really enjoyed talking to you. Thanks um, for having me. This has been great. I couldn't yeah. think of a better way to start my morning. Well, have a great Sunday and um, keep up the great work. Awesome. Cool. I hope to see you soon. Well, that's this week's episode. Thanks to Joey for joining me. And thank you to you for listening. If you want to keep up with me, you can find me as Jennifer Zeman on Instagram and Twitter. Next week, we'll be joined by Chef Marcus Samuelson, who has just opened his first Atlanta restaurant, Marcus Bar and Grill. Again, we'll be back next Sunday with Chef Marcus Samuelson. This has been your host, Jennifer Zeman of The Food That Binds. Thanks for listening.